everybody, check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listing platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. The Frankie Files. If you would like information on cults in the news, please join my new Substack. FrankieTees.substack.com Trigger warning. Some people may find topics discussed in this episode difficult. Please proceed with caution. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of The Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Tees. Today's episode is to bring awareness to sex trafficking and how it happens, and I'm going to be reading several articles on the sentencing of Ghislaine Maxwell, a partner to Epstein, and R. Kelly, who is an Illinois uh, musician and mogul. Many people have been waiting a long time for this sentencing, and they've gone through great pain in exposing it. Part of that is because of victim shaming in society. You see, when victims speak out, they get targeted. And it isn't just by the people who hurt them. They get targeted by fans of the people and minions of the people who hurt them. It's a system set in place to keep the abused silent. It kept me silent for 35 years. So I really understand. So I'll start with R. Kelly. We're going to go through the sentencing article from Yahoo and then into some of the fans that still believe He's not guilty and are calling for his freedom. Let's get into it. Via yahoonews.com, published just this month, R. Kelly, 55, was sentenced to 30 years in prison Wednesday, June 29th in Brooklyn Federal Court. The punishment exceeded both the excess of 25 years recommended by federal prosecutors and the 10 years requested by the defense, which argued that any longer would be tantamount to a death sentence. U.S. District Judge Ann Donnelly also slapped Kelly with a $100,000 fine after prosecutors asked for $50,000 to $250,000. The judge said she would have handed down the prison term regardless of sentencing guidelines, adding that the public has to be protected from behaviors like this. These crimes were calculated and carefully planned and regularly executed for almost 25 years, she said. You taught them that love is enslavement and violence. Judge Ann Donnelly remarks came after seven of Kelly's victims faced him in court. The women told of his wickedness, compared him to a Pied Piper who attracted children with fortune and fame, accused him of grooming and coaching underage boys and girls for your own sexual gratification, they said. And as they said, they took away our innocence. The disgraced singer had faced a string of allegations about his behavior with women for years as he racked up hits and awards, while all the time denying any wrongdoing. 
but public and legal scrutiny on Kelly increased as more allegations surfaced against him. During the Me Too reckoning, some of which were documented by his victims in the 2019 TV series, Surviving R. Kelly. And those allegations finally caught up with the singer, whose real name is Robert Sylvester Kelly. In a Brooklyn court last September after a six-week trial, when a New York jury returned its verdict. Kelly sat motionless as he was convicted on one count of racketeering with 14 underlying acts that included sexual exploitation of a child, kidnapping, bribery, and sex trafficking charges. He was also convicted on eight additional counts of violations of the Mann Act, a sex trafficking law. Racketeering is most commonly used in organized crime cases, but can also be used to prosecute any ongoing coordinated illegal scheme or criminal enterprise to carry out a common purpose. The verdict was the first criminal conviction against R. Kelly. Wow. So you see, many people enabled and helped him skirt the law for decades while the public ate up his music. He was in the closet. Graham Massey wrote on June 29th of 22, R. Kelly was among the biggest and most successful names in R&B music. But now R. Kelly will spend decades behind bars after being convicted of racketeering and sex trafficking charges last year. What was R&B singer convicted of and how much jail time did he get? Kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison. In 2008, he was acquitted by a Cook County jury of child pornography charges, alleging he videotaped himself having sex with a girl as young as 13. Now, Kelly will always be known as a predator after his convictions, said acting U.S. attorney from Eastern District Jacqueline Kusulis outside the court after the 21 verdict was returned. She said that Kelly, who now faces 10 years to life imprisonment, is a predator who used his inner circle to ensnare underage girls and young men and women for decades in a sordid web of sex abuse, exploitation, and humiliation. She then added, this conviction would not have been possible without the bravery and resilience of R. Kelly's victims. I applaud their courage in revealing in open court the painful, intimate, and horrific details of their lives with him. Victims' rights attorney Gloria Alred represented three of six victims who testified in the case. Gloria Alred states, First, he used the power of his celebrity to recruit vulnerable underage girls for the purpose of sexually abusing them. These were not May through October relationships, which is what his defense attorney wants the jury to believe. These were crimes against children and some adults, Miss Alred said after the conviction. She continues, Second, to use the power of his business enterprise and many of his inner circle employees to assist him and enable him in his plan and his scheme to lure his victims to him, isolate them, intimidate them, control them, indoctrinate them, punish them, shame them, and humiliate them, all of which made Mr. Kelly more powerful and more dangerous than many other sexual predators who operate without a network of financial and businesses to support and enable them. And then she added, I've been practicing law for 47 years. During this time, I've pursued many sexual predators who've committed crimes against women and children. 
Of all the predators that I have pursued, however, Mr. Kelly is the worst for many reasons. In addition to the case for which he was sentenced on June 29th, Kelly also faces pending federal charges in his own hometown of Chicago, where he's charged with child pornography and obstruction of justice. He's due to go to trial in Illinois on August 1st, and his lawyer had wanted his New York sentencing postponed until his conclusion. A judge refused that motion, but did move the sentencing from May 4th to June because of a delay of filing of a pre-sentence report. Okay, let's talk about the people that want R. Kelly freed and don't believe he should be convicted. From Yahoo News by Celia Williamson, Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Celia says, I've spent the last three decades studying sex trafficking and helping survivors. So let me help you understand why his defenders need to change their tune. A sex trafficker, no matter his station in life, no matter how much he sang sweet love songs to you, can also abuse and exploit children. Stop in the real name of love and see sex traffickers for who they are and love and protect children unconditionally and non-judgmentally. Ooh, she's singing my song. Mm, mm, mm. Sex trafficking is manipulating vulnerable youth. Williamson states, R. Kelly used the same tactics that sex traffickers use to lure young girls into their trap. Sex trafficking is not so much about kidnapping vulnerable youth and women and chaining them to a bed. Sex trafficking is pimping and the game remains the same. It involves manipulating vulnerable youth. There are chains involved, but they are metaphorical chains. Sex traffickers chain minds and hearts through the use of control. According to testimony of his victims, R. Kelly controlled their behavior. They would eat when he allowed them to eat. They would use the bathroom or bathe when he allowed them to do so. When they spoke to their parents by phone, he was close by to control what they said. Over time, when the only voice you hear is that of your controller, you experience trauma bonding and will do and believe anything they say. Your thoughts become their thoughts. Celia Williamson says, it's easier to blame the victim. In my work, we call that shooting the wounded. And on an aside, I'd like to comment that I call that victim shaming. And it's extremely prominent in society. This is why I'm doing my program. As in when a celebrity or a cult leader is so charismatic and popular that the public refuses they could do any harm and they get away with it for decades, the public might also just want to push it aside because they're so iconic and they're taken in with this character. It's like a sort of spell the celebrity has over people. They're charismatic leaders. The Now back to this Yahoo article. More enlightened R. Kelly fans blame the parents because R. Kelly convinced the parents that it was safe to send their children to him. Much like Olympic hopefuls, parents who love their children want to help fulfill their children's dreams by sending them to men who promise safety, support, and preparation. Some parents can't afford to quit their jobs and travel with their children. 
Comment. This next part wholly applies to cult leaders and the indoctrination used to lure victims into being cooperative with anything. Okay, Williamson states, right out of the trafficker's playbook, R. Kelly sold them a dream. This larger-than-life star lured youth, convincing them their dreams would come true. A skilled trafficker, a.k.a. con artist, doesn't take your love and trust. You give it to him. Then he steals your innocence, controls your actions, and traumatizes you. Today, some girls are now women, still bonded to their man through trauma. This doesn't just happen. It was the plan of a man who's been perfecting his exploitation since his marriage to 15-year-old singer Aaliyah in 1994. Williamson continues, There is a saying that we are all involved in fattening the pig, but love to blame the butcher for its slaughter. Some of us love our Kelly. We knew about Aaliyah and the other accusations of mistreatment of women and youth over the years, and we excused away each one of them in favor of his music. He changed our hearts and minds, and in return, we were willing to sacrifice these children and turn a blind eye. To R. Kelly's supporters, Williamson says, I say you are still being duped, just like the kids, into believing this person is something other than what he kept showing you. Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. Williamson continues to calm our internal contradictions on the one hand, believing you love and protect your children, and on the other hand, believing you support R. Kelly, you choose to blame the parents or children instead of the perpetrator. We have this idea that abusers are creepy men who live under a bridge somewhere. In reality, purchasing children and youth for sex is expensive. It takes a decent amount of money to pay to exploit youth. I encourage you to learn as much as you can about the dark underworld of human trafficking and child sex abuse so you can spot red flags and say something to help a victim hiding in plain sight. At the University of Toledo, we are hosting the 19th Annual International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference. This September 21-23 to 23 virtual event will feature survivors, researchers, advocates, and direct service professionals around the world, as well as celebrity speakers. Actor and musician Corey Feldman, investigative journalist Chris Hansen from Datelines to Catch a Predator, Kai Zen Bickle, the son of Peter Nygaard, a Canadian fashion mogul arrested on federal sex trafficking and racketeering charges and accused of sexual assault by women and minors, and Make Sense Labs CEO and self-dubbed First Lady of Crypto, Crystal Rose Pierce, are among the presenters to discuss how to keep children safe from predators. Legal loopholes used by accused traffickers and advocacy efforts to change federal laws regarding the statute of limitations for child sex abuse. Join our fight to save lives and support freedom as sex traffickers like R. Kelly face the music and settle into prison. Celia Williamson is a distinguished university professor of social work at the University of Toledo, director of its Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute. Wow, I like what Williamson had to say, and I really am going to check out this online event she talks about happening September 21 through 23, the 19th Annual International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference. 
This was a very well-written article, and I'm curious about the awareness-raising events. As a victim of sex trafficking as a young person, I'm painfully aware that society still thinks it's a thing that happens away off in some evil foreign country. Many of us are doing our part to raise awareness that trafficking and sex trafficking happens right under your nose. It's to young people quite often age 10 and up who are minors. Like this case, it was right in New York and Illinois in front of R. Kelly's fans, in front of retail shops, in front of parents who allowed it, and in front of the staff who cooperated clearly out of money or devotion to the iconic music figure. It's still happening right now in your area or state, right as you sit and listen to this podcast. This is why we need to raise the awareness to make it stop. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about another right now case happening in America's backyard. The sentencing of Ghislaine Maxwell. Let's get into what she did, what she was convicted of, and how long, using a couple articles. There's a lot to unpack here. Let me start with this press release from justice.gov. Ghislaine Maxwell sentenced to 20 years in prison for conspiring with Jeff Epstein to sexually abuse minors. Damian Williams, the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, announced that Ghislaine Maxwell was sentenced today in Manhattan Federal Court by United States Circuit Judge Allison J. Nathan to 240 months in prison for her role in a scheme to sexual exploit and abuse multiple minor girls with Jeffrey Epstein over the course of a decade. Maxwell was previously found guilty on December 29, 21, following a one-month jury trial of conspiracy to entice minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts, conspiracy to transport minors to participate in illegal sex acts, transporting a minor to participate in illegal sex acts, sex trafficking conspiracy, and sex trafficking of a minor. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said today's sentence holds Ghislaine Maxwell accountable for perpetrating heinous crimes against children. This sentence sends a strong message that no one is above the law and is never too late for justice. We again express our gratitude to Epstein and Maxwell's victims for their courage in coming forward, in testifying at trial, and in sharing their stories as part of today's sentencing. According to the allegations in the indictment, court documents, and evidence presented at trial, from at least 94 up to and including in or about 2004, Ghislaine Maxwell assisted, facilitated, and participated in Jeffrey Epstein's abuse of minor girls by, among other things, helping Epstein to recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse victims known to Maxwell and Epstein to be under the age of 18. The victims were as young as 14 years old when they were groomed and abused by Maxwell and Epstein, both of whom knew that their victims were in fact minors. As a part and in furtherance of their scheme to abuse minor victims, Maxwell and Epstein enticed and caused minor victims to travel to Epstein's residence in different states, which Maxwell knew and intended would result in the grooming for and subjugation to sexual abuse. Maxwell enticed and groomed minor girls to be abused in multiple ways. For example, Maxwell attempted to befriend certain victims by asking them about their lives, their schools, and their families and taking them to the movies or on shopping trips. Maxwell also acclimated victims to Epstein's conduct simply by being present for victim interactions with Epstein. 
which put victims at ease by providing the assurance and comfort of an adult woman who seemingly approved of Epstein's behavior. This is how they do it. This is definitely how they do it. Additionally, Epstein offered to help some victims by paying for travel and or educational opportunities, and Maxwell encouraged certain victims to accept Epstein's assistance. As a result, victims were made to feel indebted and believe that Maxwell and Epstein were trying to help them. Maxwell also normalized and facilitated sexual abuse for a victim by discussing sexual topics. Hello, this is the grooming part, guys. Undressing in front of the victim, being present when the victim was undressed, and encouraging the victim to massage Epstein. As Maxwell and Epstein intended, these grooming behaviors left minor victims vulnerable and susceptible to sexual abuse by Epstein. The Frankie Files. Maxwell was then present for certain sexual encounters between minor victims and Epstein, such as interactions where a minor victim was undressed, and ultimately was present for sex acts perpetrated by Epstein on minor victims. That abuse included sexualized messages during which a minor victim was fully or partially nude, as well as a group sexualized massage of Epstein involving a minor victim where Maxwell was present. In some instances, Maxwell participated in the sexual abuse of minor victims. Ultimately, minor victims were subjected to sexual abuse that included, among other things, the touching of a victim's breast or genitals, placing a sex toy such as a vibrator on a victim's genitals, directing a victim to touch Epstein while he masturbated, and directing a victim to touch Epstein's genitals. Maxwell and Epstein's victims were groomed or abused at Epstein's residence in New York, Florida, and New Mexico, as well as Maxwell's residence in London, England. This next part, they talk about how they chose their victims, and this is very akin to how cults choose sex trafficking victims. Often children of single moms who are stretched financially or time-wise working and busy, leaving the kids unmanaged. Very much a playbook. Back to the press release from the Department of Justice. In the earlier phase of the conspiracy from at least approximately 94 through approximately 2001, Maxwell and Epstein identified vulnerable girls typically from single mother households and difficult financial circumstances. The earlier phase required the defendant and Epstein to identify one girl at a time to target for grooming and abuse. Sounds like he was training her. In the later phase, from approximately 2001 until at least approximately 2004, Maxwell and Epstein enticed and recruited and caused to be enticed and recruited minor girls to visit Epstein's Palm Beach residence to engage in sex acts with Epstein, after which Epstein, Maxwell, or another employee of Epstein's would give the victims hundreds of dollars in cash. Maxwell and Epstein encouraged one or more of those victims to travel with Epstein with the intention that the victim engage in sex acts with Epstein. Moreover, and in order to maintain and increase his supply of victims, Maxwell and Epstein also paid certain victims to recruit additional girls to be similarly abused by Epstein. In this way, Maxwell and Epstein created a network of underage victims for Epstein to sexually exploit. In addition to the prison sentence, Maxwell, 60, was sentenced to five years of supervised release and ordered to pay $750,000 fine. 
Mr. Williamson praised the outstanding work of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This case is being handled by the office's Public Corruption Unit. Assistant U.S. Attorneys Maureen Comey, Allison Moe, Laura Pomerantz, and Andrew Warbaugh are in charge of the prosecution. Now, in true slime bag fashion, Maxwell's attorneys are appealing this sentence. July 7th, 2022, Routers.com. Ghislaine Maxwell appeals conviction, 20-year sentence in Epstein case by John Stemple. Ghislaine Maxwell on Thursday formally appealed her conviction and 20-year sentence for helping the late financier Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse underage girls over more than a decade. The British Socialite's notice of appeal was filed nine days after she was sentenced by U.S. Circuit Judge Allison Nathan in Manhattan. Nathan said the punishment reflects Maxwell's instrumental role in the abuse and the incalculable damage it caused to victims. Lawyers for Maxwell had argued that she was being scapegoated for Epstein's crimes. Maxwell, 60, was convicted in December after a month-long trial on sex trafficking and four other counts for recruiting and grooming four girls to have sexual encounters with Epstein, who was then her boyfriend between 94 and 2004. The daughter of the late British media magnate Robert Maxwell could be imprisoned until her late 70s with possible credit for good behavior plus credit for the two years she has been jailed at Brooklyn's Metropolitan Detention Center. Maxwell's appeal was expected, and Thursday's notice did not say what issues she will raise. Her lawyers have said the conviction was tainted because of a lack of evidence that Maxwell was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, that prosecutors waited too long to indict her, and that one juror failed to disclose he'd been sexually abused as a child. Nathan rejected these arguments in April. The lawyers have also said jail officials would not let Maxwell prepare adequately for trial and that Nathan should have used different guidelines when calculating a sentence. Bobby Sternheim, the Maxwell lawyer who filed the notice of appeal, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The appeals process will likely last several months or longer. Epstein, 66, killed himself in August 2019 in a Manhattan jail cell while awaiting his own trial for sex trafficking. Now, I know a lot of people have been following this, and I'm one of them. We know these sex rings exist. We know powerful people protect them. So today I'm going to finish off with a CNN article entitled A Timeline of What Jeffrey Epstein and His Prison Guards Did in His Final Hours by Eric Levinson of CNN. The federal indictment against two prison guards on duty the night Jeffrey Epstein died provides a detailed breakdown of what was going on in the final hours of his life. Prosecutors say the guards, Tova Noel and Michael Thomas, repeatedly failed to check on Epstein as required and then filed false forms saying they had. The guards pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiracy and filing false documents in Manhattan Federal Court on Tuesday and were released on bail packages that included 100,000 bond for each defendant. Epstein attorneys declined to comment on the incident. The timeline below is based on public information, criminal court hearings, and the federal indictment, which itself is based on internal prison surveillance video, prison records, interviews with those involved, and other sources. 
Incidents that allegedly occurred in the jail are based on the indictment. Epstein's arrest and first suicide attempt. July 6, Epstein is arrested on federal charges for allegedly running a sex trafficking enterprise between 2002 and 2005 in which he paid underage girls to have sex with him at his Manhattan home and his estate in Palm Beach. He is held at the Metropolitan Correction Center in Manhattan. July 8, Epstein, 66, pleads not guilty to sex trafficking of minors and conspiracy to engage in sex trafficking of minors. July 10th, Epstein is assigned to the prison's special housing unit, known as the SHU, due to risk factors for suicidality and safety concerns related to housing him in general population. In the SHU, inmates are assigned to six separate tiers, each of which has eight cells. July 18th, a federal judge denies Epstein bail and rules he must remain in the Metropolitan Correctional Center pending his trial. July 23rd, prison officers find Epstein on the floor of his cell with a strip of bed sheet around his neck. He is subsequently transferred out of SHU and placed on a suicide watch in the hospital wing where he is observed 24 hours a day by a staff member or a specially trained inmate companion. He remains on suicide watch for about 24 hours and is transferred to psychological observation, also in the hospital wing. July 30th, Epstein is transferred back to the SHU and required to have an assigned cellmate. He was assigned to the cell closest to the correctional officer's desk, in the SHU's common area, which is about 15 feet from the cell. July 31st, Epstein appears in Manhattan Federal Court and shows no visible signs of injury. The next court appearance is set for October 8th, the night of Epstein's death. August 9th, hundreds of pages of court documents are unsealed in New York Federal Court that allege new details of sexual abuse claims against Epstein and several associates. August 9th, 8 a.m., Epstein's cellmate is transferred out of the prison in a routine prearranged transfer. No new cellmate is assigned. August 9th, 4 p.m., Tova Noel, a 31-year-old officer at MCC, begins the first of two back-to-back eight-hour shifts in the SHU. Noel has been employed as a correctional officer at MCC since about 2016. Noel and an unarmed Officer 1 do not perform the required 4 p.m. institutional count. Internal video shows according to the indictment. They complete and sign a count slip falsely saying that they did. The count slip is collected and delivered to the control center where officers are responsible for comparing the count slips to the institution's inmate roster, the indictment says. August 9th, 5.03 p.m., based on the falsified count slip, the control center clears the 4 p.m. count. August 9th, 7.49 p.m., Epstein returns to the SHU from an attorney visit and is escorted to his cell by Noel and another officer. August 9th, by or before 10 p.m., all inmates are locked in their cells for the night. August 9th, 10 p.m., Noel and an unarmed Officer 2 do not perform the required 10 p.m. institutional count. Internal video shows they complete and sign a count slip falsely saying they did. 
August 9th, 10.30 p.m., Noelle briefly walks up to and walks back from the door and the tier in which Epstein was housed, internal videos show. This is the last time anyone walks up to the entrance to the area where Epstein was held until around 6.30 a.m. The next day, the indictment said, August 9th, 10.36 p.m., based on the falsified count slip, the control center clears the 10 p.m. count. August 10th, 12 a.m., Michael Thomas, a 41-year-old officer at MCC, begins an eight-hour shift on duty at the SHU. Thomas has been employed as a regular correctional officer at MCC since about 2007. In 2013, he was assigned to work as a materials handler supervisor, but still regularly worked overtime shifts as a correctional officer. Thomas and Noel, the only two correctional officers on duty, do not perform the required 12 a.m. count internal videos show. They complete and sign a count slip falsely saying they did. August 10th, 1249 a.m. Based on the falsified count slip, the control center clears the 12 a.m. count. August 10th, 12 a.m. to 6.30 a.m., Noel and Thomas failed to complete any of the required 30-minute rounds in the SHU, authorities say. Noel completes and signs more than 75 separate 30-minute round entries falsely saying they conducted the rounds. Noel and Thomas, seated at the officer's desk area, use the computers and move around the SHU common area. For about two hours, Noel and Thomas sit at their desk without moving and appear to be asleep, the, indictments, the indictment says. Noel uses the computer periodically, including to search the internet for furniture sales and benefit websites. Thomas uses the computer briefly at 1 a.m., 4 a.m., and 6 a.m. to search motorcycle sales and sports news, according to the indictment. August 10th, 3 a.m., Noel and Thomas do not make the required 3 a.m. count internal video show. They complete and sign a count slip falsely saying they did. August 10th, 3.24 a.m., based on the falsified count slip, the control center clears the 3 a.m. count. August 10th, 4 a.m., the overnight supervisor visits Noel and Thomas in the SHU and confers with them before leaving. August 10th, 5 a.m., Noel and Thomas do not make the required 5 a.m. count, internal video shows. They complete and sign a count slip, falsely saying they did. 5.30 a.m., based on the falsified count slip, the control center clears the 5 a.m. count. August 10th, 5.30 a.m., another correctional officer briefly walks through the SHU common area. Video surveillance shows no one else entered the SHU, no one conducted any counts or rounds, Throughout the night, and no one entered the tier where Epstein was housed. August 10th, shortly after 6 a.m., Noel and Thomas receive a delivery of breakfast carts into the SHU. August 10th, 6.30 a.m., Noel and Thomas walk up to and enter the tier in which Epstein was housed to serve breakfast. 6.33 a.m., an alarm is activated in the SHU. Epstein is alone in his cell and not responsive, with a noose around his neck. Unnamed Supervisor 1, who had just started his shift, responds to the alarm almost immediately. Noel approaches the door to the SHU to open it for Supervisor 1 and says, Epstein hung himself, the indictment said. Afterwards, Noel tells Supervisor 1, we did not complete the 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. rounds, Thomas says. We messed up. And I messed up. She's not to blame. We didn't do any rounds, according to the indictment. 
August 10th morning, Epstein is taken to a hospital where he is pronounced dead of an apparent suicide, the Bureau of Prison says. CNN's Erica Orden contributed to this report. That's the end of the article. Now, as you know, a lot of speculation followed this death. Skeptics saying that Epstein had too much information on rich and famous politicians and royalty such as UK's Prince Andrew and USA's Bill Clinton and even Bill Gates, among other elite who participated or are thought to have participated in his sex trafficking pedophile ring. For me, the glaring fact is that sex trafficking is huge business. It is still quite sheltered by a network of enablers and members of society who have minimized the importance of how this behavior destroys lives for the long term. As a victim of sex trafficking, I can attest to that. I speak up for those who do not yet have the strength and for prevention. If we as the public are more aware how these things happen and that not all victims are able to run due to the certain coercions forced on them, and even the manipulation of family members who cover it up. Not all rape happens at gunpoint. Not all rape happens at knife point in a van. Some trick victims into indentured servitude, and the trafficked comply simply seeing it as the least difficult option or that they really have no choice. Be one of those members of society who believe it can happen to you and yours, in your midst or right next door, You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. Follow me on Reddit at Frankie Tees and on Twitter at Frankie Tees for supplemental discussion. If press are listening, this is for immediate release. Frankie's statement on being a survivor of Morningland Church. I've been silent long enough as a survivor of Morningland Church religious cult. I represent adult cult kids like me. I'm currently the only person speaking out against the abuses of this church, many documented by the press publicly through time. I was involved in this place from age 8 to 22, sustaining much abuse and sorrow. My family was systematically destroyed by cult clergy still active at Morningland, renamed the Monastery in Long Beach, California. This is part of my stepping up. I feel a responsibility. My relationship with my twin did not survive, but I have the support of my mother in stepping forward. Though the original founders died long ago, Dan Sperato in 76 and Patricia Sperato in 2003, there are three people they trained who participated in the destruction of my family, still living illegally at 2600 East 7th Street, Long Beach, California. These clergy are still using the same awful techniques to lure people into their web. They also still have an entire city block, which was purchased by donations of unwitting victims of their deception, including false claims of healing, promises of ascension at death, and more spiritual and psychological abuse. Family and marriage separation are some of the behavior, which still goes on today. In 2022, like many people, the pandemic forced me to reevaluate my life and embrace a new role, podcast host, and soon published author on the topic of cults. In 2021, due to the pandemic, I had the extra time and solitude needed to write my memoir. It's ready. In addition, I reconnected with my mother and had her support in recalling the story and detailing it where there was amnesia. I could not have written my memoir without my mother. My mother sustained 
much suffering, losing contact with her kids for many years. Our reconciliation has been a long time coming. I'm seeking a literary agent now to publish my memoir. I am seeking public interviews. I look forward to speaking opportunities on this topic ongoing and am available for speaking engagements virtually at this time. I am no longer religious, yet I have faith in a higher power. In good. I've been in the process of speaking out since 2014. I have sustained much personal attack by proxy from the church since finally telling my mother in 2014 of the sexual abuse my sister and I endured. There's no shortage of amazement with the lawyer for the church having been Ed Masry of Aaron Brockovich fame, now deceased, a bribery charge involving state officials, a bomb scare that nearly took my life, and sexual trafficking and family separation. Finally confronting this life trauma was like walking across the Sahara Desert alone. I assure you that the book will reveal a shocking story that has never been told. Fear, pain, and mental landmines have made the telling of my story previously impossible. Until now, I'm ready. Contact me at frankietees.com if you're a trusted news agency who will handle this story properly. The story is still available as an exclusive. You're listening to The Frankie Files by Frankie Tees. FrankieFilesPodcast.com